Okay, thickest darkness, deepest waters, perplexing riddles, and stormy blasts. This is the way a man named Isaac Watts referred to his life. He was born uh, in the 17th century in England. His life started hard. In fact, his father was in prison. Isaac, Swat, Isaac Watts' father was uh, a nonconformist. That means he was a follower of Jesus who would not embrace the established church of England. So he rejected the rules and the rituals and the regulations of the formal church. And in those days, if a man was not part of the official government-recognized church, then he could be persecuted. So Watts' father was persecuted, imprisoned twice. So picture this. Watts' mother would nurse her children on the steps of the jail where the father was imprisoned. Uh, she'd lift up her infant son to the barred window so the father could see the face of his child. So that's the way things started for little Isaac. Eventually his father was freed, but the family was considered politically, socially, and culturally incorrect. Life was hard, but little Isaac was a genius. He was learning Latin at four, Greek at nine, uh, French at 11, and Hebrew at 13. So his mind was sharp. But his body was sick. Um, plus, he had what was called an unsightly appearance. Uh, and that took a toll, frankly, on his personal life. He was, he was uh, just about five feet tall. Uh, he was scrawny. He was emaciated. He was pale. He was yellow. And he had a disproportionately oversized head with a large hooked nose and little beady gray eyes. So he was called unattractive, homely, unhandsome. Now, Watts thought that sitting in church was boring. They didn't have music like we just had, okay? And he didn't like the music in the church. He thought it was boring. So his father said, well, what are you going to do about it? So he wrote his first song at age 19. He took the Psalms, he interpreted them in everyday language, and he put words to the music. And uh, it was considered scandal scandalous and um, non-traditional. And he was considered heretical back in the day. But we're still singing his songs almost 300 years later. Uh, there was a woman in England at the time named Elizabeth. She was a famous poet in those days. And she wrote to Watts to let him know that she uh, was moved deeply by his words. So he began to correspond with Elizabeth. And they fell in love through their letters. So finally they met face to face. And she could not get past the way he looked. So when he asked her to marry him, she said no. That she loved his heart, but not his looks. Here's the quote. If only I could say that I admire the container as much as I admire the jewel that it contains. That's a poetic way to say, I ain't married somebody as ugly as you, right? So Watts had to just be content with being her friend, and he stayed unmarried the rest of his life. When he was 24, he became a teacher. Later, he became pastor of a church in London. But he was often ill. He was often unable to serve his congregation. And finally, when he was just in his 30s, he had to resign as a pastor. So when he looked back at the scenes of his life, he labeled the experiences thickest darkness, deepest waters, perplexing riddles, and stormy blasts. Why? His father was jailed. 
He and his family were outsiders. His appearance was unpleasant. He was rejected by the woman he loved. He lost a dream job because he was too sick to work. And yet this is the man who wrote Joy to the World. So what made it? made it possible for a man whose life was filled with thickest darkness to be a man who could write a song about joy that we're singing almost 300 years later. Open your Bibles to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. In 1719, this song, Joy to the World, was first published in a collection of Watts poems entitled The Psalms of David. He believed that the Psalms we're really pointing us to Jesus. And so, Joy to the World is his musical paraphrase of Psalm 98. So today, we're going to look at Psalm 98 to see what truth inspired Isaac Watts. And then we're going to take a closer look at the song, Joy to the World. And then we're going to look for some applications for our own lives so that we can know more joy and take more joy to the world ourselves. Now, before we dig into the song... A lot of times when I read the Bible, I just ask some very simple, big-picture questions. Who, what, why, when, where, and how? You know, if you just read your Bible and ask those questions, you'll be amazed at what will jump off the page at you. Who, what, why, when, where, how? And the nine verses in this particular psalm break down into three sections, and they answer three of those questions. Why, and how, and who? So let's read it and see if you can... See what I'm talking about. Verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, which is a kind of harp. With the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar at all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people's with equity. This psalm inspired joy to the world. But did you notice that there's no manger, there's no shepherds, there's no star, there's no angels, there's no obvious reference to the birth of a babe? So how did this psalm inspire a song that is so closely connected to Christmas? I mean, it does say in verse 9 that he comes to judge the world. He comes not as a little baby in a manger, but to judge the world. That doesn't sound like a little baby. It sounds more like a conquering hero. This psalm, if you think about it, is more about the second coming of Christ than it is about the first coming of Christ. So the, the, this, what's being celebrated here is Jesus coming as king to right all the wrongs, to bring righteous rule to the earth, and to bring equity to people everywhere. And if you think about it, that's what we long for, Right? I mean, we read and hear about terror in Paris and terror in California. I mean, and the wrongs just seem like they're getting wronger. Righteousness doesn't seem to be winning. And people are not treated with equity everywhere. And to add to this, we've got our own personal junk, right? I've got my own personal 
thickest darkness, deepest waters, perplexing riddles, and stormy blasts that I'm dealing with. In fact, this is a very tough time of the year for many, many people because life just doesn't work out the way we want. And so this Christmas is probably not going to be exactly what you want. You're thinking, man, life's tough. Life's hard. My life isn't looking the way I thought it would. And I'm supposed to sing joy to the world? See, just like Isaac Watts, you've got your own thickest darkness. But Isaac Watts found a reason to rejoice right here in Psalm 98. So let's answer some questions. Why, how, and who? Why? Why is there joy to the world? And the simple answer is salvation has come. And this is in verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. Verse 3, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And this is good news, right? Because the world is a broken place. The world is in need of restoration. The world is in need of rescue. The world is in need of salvation. So how does salvation come? Answer, through Jesus, right? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Salvation has three tenses. There's a past tense, present tense, and a future tense. Past tense. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Once we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord, which some of you haven't done yet, we're going to give you a chance to do that at the end of the message. But when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, He saved us. Jesus died on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sin so that we would not have to suffer eternally in hell. That is the past tense of salvation. There's a present tense to salvation. We are being saved from the power of sin. And as we learn to follow Jesus more closely, we find ourselves being freed from the sinful habits that hurt us and hurt other people. That's the present tense of salvation. And then there's a future tense to salvation. We will be saved from the very presence of sin. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. I will be saved from the presence of sin because one day Jesus Christ will return and all of our sinning will be over and all of our joy will be regained. And this is our hope. This is salvation. So Isaac Watts, a man who knew thickest darkness was still joyous. Yes, my girlfriend dumped me. The one I love thinks I'm ugly. But I'm still standing and I'm still joyous. Why is there joy to the world? Salvation. Salvation. How? Not only why, but how. How is joy to the world to be expressed? Answer. Music! I mean, you see this in verses 4 to 6. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. 5, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. 6, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. We got voices here. We got harps here. We got trumpets here. We got horns here. And by the way, you can play your drum too, because this is just a sampling of instruments. You know, I've been to Indonesia twice. Pearl Island, where we go to reach an unreached people group, is 99.9% Muslim. And I have heard over and over again the music from the mosques. Listen, we 
have better music. <laughs> now, why do we have better music? It's because we've got Jesus. Jesus is joy. We've got a reason to celebrate. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, are being saved from the very power of sin, and will be saved from the very presence of sin someday. We've got a reason to celebrate because the Lord has done marvelous things. He's brought salvation to us. You know, I can remember uh, almost 20 years ago, riding on a dusty, bumpy road with sweat pouring down our bodies in Ghana, West Africa. I was on a mission trip there. So this was toward the end of a long, hard trip. And I just got to say, my spirit was grumpy. And then one of our African hosts began to sing. Things are getting better. Things are getting better. And I wanted to slap the dude. <laughs> right? You've been there. He kept singing. Things are getting better. For the Lord is on his throne. Things are getting better. Things are getting better. And then when I got to the end of the song, my grumpy spirit turned joyous. And I got to tell you something. My life is still shaped today by that simple little tune with a very profound message. Because we, of all people, have a reason for optimism. We, of all people, have a reason to have a positive outlook. We, of all people, has a, have a reason for joy because of Jesus Christ. So play the harps and blow the trumpets and hit the drums and get the guitars and the keys and the voices going because music expresses our joy. But you know what else? Music increases our joy. Some of you walked in here today grumpy and you heard that first song and you're going, I'm not grumpy anymore. Isaac Watts, man who knew deepest waters was still joyous. Yes, I've been sick pretty much most of my life, but I still have a song on my lips, and I have a joy in my heart. Why is there joy to the world salvation? How is joy to the world expressed, music, and then who? Who sings joy to the world? Who brings joy to the world? And the short answer is everything and everyone. Verse 7, look at this. The sea and all that fills it, the world... Verse 8, the rivers, the hills. I mean, think about it. All creation sings joy to the world. I mean, the next time you're walking somewhere and you hear a bird, you need to go, that bird is singing joy to the world. If you listen, the earth itself makes a joyful noise. The seas roar with joy. When those waves crash, it's joy to the world. Everything that dwells in nature roars with joy. The hills sing for joy together. The rivers clap their hands. Nature sings. And if nature sings, then we need to sing too. Look at verse 7 again. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world, and those who dwell in it. That means me. That means you. We're supposed to roar with joy. I mean, if you go back and you look at the commands here in Psalm 98, here it is. Verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Again in verse 4, break forth into joyous singing. Again in verse 4, sing praises. Verse 7, let those who dwell in the earth roar. <laughs> now, these are not optional commands. You can't go, well, I'm going to obey this verse in the Bible, but not that one. 
And by the way, they're not just command for women and children. Uh, we don't know who wrote this particular psalm, but we do know that David, the king of Israel, wrote many of them. And listen, listen, David was a dude. His leadership ability was off the charts. I mean, he rose from being an almost overlooked shepherd boy to being the king of a nation, and a rich one too. And when he was a young man, he took down a giant who was the enemy of God's people, and he cut off his head. Don't tell me David wasn't a dude. And if anyone could have considered himself too manly to sing, it was David. Yet David was so exuberant in his praise of God that his own wife once called him undignified. So you got Isaac Watts here, a man who knew perplexing riddles, but he is singing joyous praises to Jesus. He goes, I can't make sense out of all the bad stuff that's happening in my life, but you know what? I will still sing. And you, Lord Jesus, will increase the joy in my heart as I do so. Why is there joy to the world? Salvation. We better not ever get over being saved. How is joy to the world expressed? Music. And who sings joy to the world? Everything and everyone. Truly, Jesus is joy to the world. So the question we have to ask is this. Is Jesus joy to me? Now, how did this song get so deeply connected to Christmas? Bible scholars have noticed parallels between Psalm 98 and Mary's song over in Luke chapter 1 when she learned she would be the mother of the Messiah. So did Mary think about Psalm 98 when she thought about the birth of her baby? Maybe. So today, just to help you connect the dots between Psalm 98 and Luke 1, Mary's song, I'm going to ask the men to read the parts from Psalm 98. And then I'll ask the women to read the portions from Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. So it's just five sections, so humor me, okay? I think you'll see the comparison. All right, here we go. Men, say, read with me. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Women, my soul. Men, for he has done marvelous things. Women. Men. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. Women. He has shown strength in His Men. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Women. He has his servant Israel in remembrance of his Finally, men. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Women. Do you see the parallels? Do you see the connections? I mean, maybe Mary was thinking about Psalm 98 when Jesus was born. Psalm 98 is about the first and the second coming of Christ, just like Mary's song in Luke 1 is about the first and the second coming of Christ. See, Isaac Watts, who wrote Joy to the World, saw that Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 98 because he saw something in Jesus that, that a lot of us miss. I mean, who is this Jesus anyway? Well, Watts, like Jonathan Edwards and G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis, he saw that Jesus is joyous. Jesus is a great, glad-hearted Savior. See, when Jesus made everything, when He created 
He did so with great joy because he is joyous. The king of creation is joyous. And when he made everything, everything was not only very good, everything was very glad. All was well with the world. But we can see the news, right? All is not well with the world now. And I can look in the mirror and I can see that all is not well with me. Something's wrong with me. Why? Well, it's because a curse on creation has come. Sorrows have grown. Thorns have invested, infested the ground. Why is that? Because of sin. We rebelled against our happy-hearted God and our joy is gone. Every time you sin, you're stealing joy from yourself. And when we sin, we rebel against our happy-hearted God. Our joy goes. But the king has come to reverse the curse. The Lord has come to restore our joy. Jesus has come to bring salvation. He suffered with us. He identified with our pain. And then because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, dying in our place for our sin. He rose from the dead. He is victorious over sin and sorrow. And now we are supposed to prepare room in our hearts. We are called to receive him as king. And when we do, he becomes our reigning savior. And we get forgiveness and hope and healing and new life. His blessings flow and our joy is being restored. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. See, because there was a first Christmas, there could be a second coming when all the blessings will flow and there will be joy to the world fully and finally. And everything will be all right. Maybe you saw like me this past week, what Plain Dealer writer Bill Livingston said was the best LeBron James quote ever. James was asked, how do you think the Cavs are going to do when Kyrie Irving comes back and starts to play? And here's what James said. There's only one guy in the world ever where everything will be all right when he comes back, and that's Jesus Christ. Wow! You know what, if we will keep that in mind every day, all day, we will have a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. So you got Isaac Watts here, this man whose life is filled with thickest darkness, deepest waters, perplexing riddles, stormy blasts. He found that Jesus was joy to him. So he wrote, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes his nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Listen, what a song! I have, personally, a natural inclination not to be joyous. I am a type A, melancholic, obsessive-compulsive, driven, task-oriented perfectionist. <laughs> True confession. Now, that can be a real asset when you're trying to plant a church from scratch, like Marion and I did almost 30 years ago. That can be an asset when you're trying to get something done. But it is not a good recipe for constant joy. And when I am joyless, I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good dad, I'm not a good pastor. 
And people around me, when I'm not joyless, they're not attracted to Jesus. I need joy. See, see, a, a, a joyless Christian is an oxymoron, right? And it's also a bad advertisement for Jesus. Because you know what? Even a quick reading of the Bible, you will see we're supposed to be people of joy. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. So in 2015, I've been on a quest for more joy. I've read books on joy. I've meditated on verses about joy. I've tried to develop some hardwired habits to enhance my joy. Now, there have been some challenging things in my personal life this past year. And there are things that have come into my life that have threatened to destroy my joy. But I will tell you, a few habits have helped me greatly. And instead of my joy decreasing, I think it's increasing at least a little in spite of the challenges. It has, hasn't happened all day every day. <laughs> but more and more of the time on some of my days. And as I have looked at this particular carol, Joy to the World, I see some habits that I am trying personally to develop. So, if you want more joy in your life, and if you want to take more joy to the world, let me give you four habits. Here's the first. Receive your king. Every day. Every single day. Receive your king. See, he says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And to do that, you've got to prepare your heart and make room, right? You say, well, what's the big deal about me receiving Jesus as king? How's that going to increase my joy? Well, think about it. The character or the nature of the person you're following is going to impact you. It's going to rub off on you. So if you hang around miserable people, you're going to be miserable. But if you hang around joyous people, you're going to be joyous. Now, maybe you've never thought about this before, but Jesus, I want to say again, is the most joyous person in the universe. You might have come out of a religious background where you've learned that God is ticked, that he's always wanting to zap people with lightning bolts. But the Bible, Hebrews 1 verse 9, we learn this about Jesus. It says, God the Father has given God the Son, has anointed God the Son with the, get this, oil of gladness beyond his companions. Think about that. Jesus has been given gladness beyond anyone. He is the most joyous person on the planet, in the universe. Why wouldn't you want to receive as the king of your life the most joyous person ever? So every single day we need to reconnect with Jesus. We've got to make room in our hearts to receive Jesus as our joyous king. And so this past year, when I've sent a note or a card to someone, I often, not always, but often sign it this way. Note, 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 note. Then joining Jesus in his joy, comma, Rick. Joining Jesus in his joy, comma, Rick. Now, I don't write that for the other person getting it. I'm writing that for me. Because I want to receive Jesus as my joyous king. I want to join him in his joy. How to bring more joy to the world. Receive your king every day. Your joyous king. Second, employ your songs. Employ your songs. Isaac Watts wrote these words. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men, their songs, employ. Now when you employ someone, you're putting them to work. The idea here is put your songs to work in your life. To increase your joy. So this year I've been trying to be very intentional and consistent in listening to music and singing songs that will create a more positive outlook for my daily life. 
And some of the songs that I listen to, they're secular. Some of the songs are more spiritual and traditional. You know, I've got a file on my phone that I refer to regularly when I take a walk and when I pray. And so I'll just be out in my neighborhood. I'm sure people think I'm crazy, but I'll go, Oh, what a beautiful morning. And, I, and I'll sing, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. <laughs> or I'll sing, Mr. Bluebird's on my shoulder. It's the truth. It's actual. Everything is satisfactual. <laughs> I mean, is that stupid? Is that corny? I'm going to tell you something. It elevates my mood. I mean, I even have a few songs that I play on Amazon Prime. I haven't been arrested yet when I've been taking these walks. I mean, there's some hymns that elevate my spirit. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? All nature sings and round me rings. God reigns, let the earth be glad. And I'm so grateful that Chad gave me this particular message because now I can add joy to the world to the mix when I sing. I was talking about this with Pastor Chad on Friday. He said it this way, employ your songs to deploy your joy. Employ your songs to deploy your joy. How to get more joy in your life and how to bring more joy to the world. Receive your king, employ your songs, and then count your blessings. Because the psalm, the song that Isaac Watts wrote, the song that Isaac Watts wrote says he comes to make his blessings flow. The blessings of God are flowing. Do we see it? Do we recognize it? See, it's so easy for us to focus on what's not going well. And that deflates and defeats the soul. You know, this year, I've read over a dozen books. The Happy Christian, The Law of Happiness. I've read over a dozen books on the topic of joy. One of them, believe it or not, Pollyanna. Not bad. <laughs> Some of the books over there have been written by followers of Christ. Some have been written by secular folks. But there's a common thread through all of the books. And that is the call toward gratitude. If we want to experience more joy and happiness in our life, we've got to be people that are grateful. And we've got to be people who express our gratefulness. So what I've done is I have... A gratitude journal. In fact, I'm writing in my third one right now. At the end of every day, I just write down three things that I'm grateful for. You know, secular people, they're very eloquent when they talk about the power of gratitude. But you know what? We followers of Christ have an advantage because we know who to thank. So at the top of the page every day, I write, Thank you, Lord, for... And it's just a way for me to count my blessings. I just write down three things every day. They don't have to be big things. <laughs> this is not my notes. But the other day I was in a meeting in Atlanta. And a good friend walked in the room that I hadn't seen for quite some time. He's a pastor of a large church down there. And uh, my back was to the door. So all of a sudden I'm sitting in this room and I feel a kiss on the top of my head. <laughs> I turn around and it's my friend Brian Bloy. Got up, gave him a big hug. 
The kiss on top of the head made it into the gratitude journal. (laughs) I mean, just little things like that, as well as big things. Write stuff down. How to bring more joy to the world. Receive your king. Employ your songs. Account your blessings. Finally, wonder at God's love. Some of us are good at wandering away from God's love. That's W-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G. We need to wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R, at God's love. Because it says, He rules the world with truth and grace, makes nations prove the glories, of his, the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. It's very easy for me to think that I'm worthy of love based on my performance. Because I grew up playing a game that measures everything. How many hits did you get? How many runs did you score? How many errors did you make? It was all measured. And it's out there for everybody to see. And if you perform well enough, you were loved and you were promoted to the next level. So I played baseball all the way through high school, college, and spent five years in the minor leagues. So measuring everything, including my grades, shaped me deeply, deeply during my formative years. So I brought that mindset into my walk with Christ and into the ministry. See, I felt I was worthy to be loved by God if my performance measured up. How good was that sermon? How well are the people giving? How many people did your church baptize last year? If I perform well, God loved me. If I didn't perform well, He didn't. Listen, none of that is true. God's love is unconditional. He doesn't love me because I'm lovable. I'm not. He loves me because He loves the unlovable. He is love. He loves me in spite of my failures. He loves me in spite of my sin. In fact, He loved me so much that Jesus... Died on a cross for me, even though I deserve hell, not heaven. And I'm learning more and more to wonder at his love. His love for us, undeserved, unearned, unconditional, ought to make us wonder. His love is full of wonder. His love is wonderful. And when I'm able to lock in on this, I find it to be a source of great joy for my life because the pressure is off. And I'm like a little child. I don't have to do anything. All I have to be is me. Listen, our Lord is crazy about me, believe it or not. And you know what? He's crazy about you too. My picture is on the Lord's refrigerator. And so is yours. I mean, it says in the Bible, our names are engraved on the palms of his hand. It says in the Bible, we are the apple of his eye. It says in the Bible that he rejoices and sings over us. We are the love of his life. Do you believe that? If you believe that, that's going to elevate your spirit and give you joy. You know, I'm a grandparent, got a five-year-old and one-year-old grandsons. I take great joy in those grandchildren, whether they perform or not. They just make me smile. And God's just like that with me and you. Wonder at God's love. It'll be a great source of joy for your life. How to bring more joy to your life, to the world, receive your king, employ your songs, count your blessings, and wonder at God's love. Now, before there can be joy to the world, before I can bring joy to the world, there has to be joy in me, right? But when there is joy in me, I find that my joy is enhanced and multiplied and expanded when I take that joy and I give it to somebody else. 
Because if you think about it, the song, Joy to the World, is a missionary song. We're supposed to take this joy to the world, to the nations. Because we know that there's an island in Indonesia where 99.9% of those folks don't know Jesus. They don't have past tense, present tense, or future tense salvation. But we can take that message there. And we can take that message to places like Mexico and places like Ghana, West Africa. So I'm excited to announce our international mission efforts for 2016 because it's taking joy to the world. And you can see it there. Mexico, Pearl Island, Inzimaland, Ghana, and Africa. And, and, and if any of those destinations are intriguing to you, if any of those dates would work for you, if you're attracted to any of those leaders up there, then send an email to daliaorth, dorth, at cbconline.org, and you can find out more. We're going to take this joy to the world in 2016. Because you see, a joy hoarded is a joy divided and decreased and diminished. But a joy shared is a joy expanded, increased, and multiplied. I just got an email yesterday from... Uh, a group of people that went from our church down to West Virginia to serve some needy folks down there. And I could feel the joy coming through the computer to me as I read it because one person in West Virginia prayed to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I mean, hey, that group, 10 people, went down and took some joy to West Virginia because they took Jesus down there. And maybe you're here and you're going... I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. I don't know Jesus like this. In your program, there's a prayer you can pray. It's going to be on the screen. Dear God, I've tried to find joy in all the wrong places. This is my great sin. I need your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died on the cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sin. He rose from the dead. So today, some of you just need to pray this right now. Today, I make room in my heart for Jesus. I receive him as king. Since Jesus alone brings true joy to the world, let him be joy to me that I can share it with others. And if that's your prayer today, then in front of you, there's a card. and You can check a box and say, I'm receiving Christ today. And put it in the offering basket because we want to help you grow. Thickest darkness, deepest waters, perplexing riddles, stormy blasts. On this side of heaven, those things are not going to go away. It's part of the human experience in this fallen world. But these things should never, ever steal our joy. What we have to learn to do is what Pastor Dale has said over and over again. Sky your eyes. You say, how do I do that? Receive your king, employ your songs, count your blessings, and wonder at his love. This is what Isaac Watts did to help him through his very difficult life. These are some hardwired habits that God is helping me to develop, and I think these things will help you too. I think Isaac Watts has served us well because he reminds us in Joy to the World that the Lord has come. That first Christmas was necessary, but Watts' song reminds us not to get caught up just in the baby in a manger and lose sight of the redemptive and restorative work of Christ. He's coming again. And the deepest waters and the stormy blasts and the perplexing riddles will be over forever. And this is why we sing Joy to the world. Father, I pray that you would help us rejoice in Jesus right now, today, 
elevate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.